So David, um, I'm going to hand over to you. Um, David's no stranger to us. Um, he's retired from uh, industry and he's retired from the elderships. I'll never forgive him. Um, but uh, David continues to put a lot of work into church life here at Crescent, e even as a retired elder. And he's got an extra wee skip and a step this week as his son, James, recently got engaged to Marylees. Marylees, is that right? Okay. So David, uh, the rest of the time is over to you. Thank you. Well, it's nice to see so many people out uh, this evening, despite who the speaker is, so that's uh, really encouraging for me. Uh, can we turn to God's Word, please? Uh, and I'm, I want to read from Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, 28. We've had a couple of internationals staying in our house, as well as James' fiance, a couple of friends. And their English is very good, but they keep reminding me that we speak far too fast in this part of the world, so I, I will try to slow down just a little bit. And Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those He predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God richly bless the reading of his word. So last week, uh, as Neville said, we started a new series looking at the character of God. And tonight, our subject is God is fair. Now, when you've got a preposition like God is fair, it presumes that there was a question, is God fair? So that's the approach I'm taking tonight. Now, a sense of being treated fairly is an essential uh, aspect of our sense of contentment and, and peace of mind. A feeling of being treated unfairly can leave us with lingering grievance, stirring up unhappiness and discontent. If I needed an example of this, I've only to look at the cricket match last week between England and Australia. It was the final day of the match and England were in with a chance of winning. The England batsman Johnny Burstow was just settling in to make a big score when the Australian wicketkeeper caught him unawares and took out his wicket. 
Bairstow was declared out and England went on to lose the match. The normally subdued crowd at Lords, the cricket ground, broke into howls of rage at this outrageous cheating as they saw it. And it's been the subject of headlines throughout the week. It just wasn't fair play. The English actually have a, sense, a word for that sort of thing. It just wasn't cricket. Interestingly, the Australians hadn't broken the laws of cricket. They just exploited them, but it left a deep sense of grievance. Enough, by the way, to uh, motivate England to go on and win the third test today. More seriously, if you've been watching a, a BBC program uh, on the history of the Troubles in Northern Ireland, you can't help being, being struck by the number of times that relatives of those who died in the Troubles expressed the view that it isn't fair that their loved ones, killers, walked away or weren't prosecuted or didn't serve prison sentences that reflected the crimes that they committed. Fairness is important to us. As, as the uh, parents of uh, any small children will know, one of the first phrases they come up with is, that's not fair. And we know the importance as parents of treating our children fairly, of not favoring one over the other, and of explaining why the treatment might be different to one than the other if it is deserved. So, so fairness is really important to us. The answer to, God's, to the question, is God fair, is going to influence our attitude to him. Now, what do we mean by fair? So I went to a dictionary definition, several dictionaries, and... Uh, there are lots of different words used, uh, but several keep coming up time and time again. One is impartial. So being fair is being impartial or equitable, even-handed. But another word that kept coming up was just. And the third word that came up was good. So that led me to three questions. Is God impartial? Does he treat people without favor and treating them in a way that is right? Secondly, is God just? Is he consistent in administering his own laws? Does he punish those who aren't just? And thirdly, well, I, the third one is, is God good? But I can't use that because David Farrell's going to be speaking on that in two or three weeks' time, so I can't take his topic. But I've turned it round and I've said, if God is fair, why does he allow bad things to happen? Now, a health warning here. One has to be very sensitive when, when we address topics like, why does God allow things to happen? And I trust I will not offend anyone here tonight. My heart goes out to those who are suffering at this time, who've got lots of issues, lots of problems, who are struggling with what is happening to them. I hope tonight, from God's word, you may receive some comfort. Fairness is an interesting concept. It, it essentially, it, it is rarely between two equal parties. If you think uh, a child claiming that they're not been treated fairly, it's between the, the child and the parent. In sport, it's between the team and the referee. And in this topic that we're talking about, it's between us and God. And I think it's important to set a little bit of context before we address, we test those three issues of impartiality, justice, and goodness. The Bible is very clear in making the claim that God is fair in his dealings with the human race. In fact, it says he goes way beyond fairness. To be treated fairly does not mean being singled out for special treatment. It, rather, it means receiving what we deserve. 
not more and not less. And God created the human race so that He could commune with them, have fellowship with them, receive worship from them. He didn't create us as mindless creatures who were programmed only to follow instructions, but He allowed us to have free will. And this concept of free will is central, really, to understanding why God is good. C.S. Lewis, perhaps the the greatest philosopher and Christian writer of the mid-20th century, addressed the issue of free will. He said, if a thing is good to be free, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what makes evil possible. Why then did God give us free will? And he answers the question, because free will, though it makes evil possible, is the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. Another author in answering the question said, because it was a way he could make human beings into a unique, glorious, and majestic, the way he designed them to be. I think we've got to go back to Genesis to, to understand this. In the, uh, uh, the uh, story of Genesis, Adam and Eve abused the free will that God gave them. They were placed in a beautiful garden, free to do as they please, except for one thing. God said to them, you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that was in the middle of the garden, or they would die. Now, this illustrates the free will that God gave people. They could obey God and enjoy, enjoy His magnificent creation, or they could disobey Him and die. So, Adam and Eve tricked, tempted by Satan, rebelled against God and ate the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden, choosing to disobey God. We read, we read in Genesis that that disobedience had a significant consequence. They were no longer able to communicate with God. They were driven from the garden, and a curse was placed on the earth. We refer to this as the fall. Professor David Gooding and, and Professor John Lennox in their book uh, suffering life's pain, state, when God created humankind, He bestowed on us alone of all His earthly creatures the supreme dignity and privilege of freedom of will and the freedom of choice between good and evil. He gave mankind no permission to choose evil. Indeed, He flatly forbade it, but He made us in such a way that if we decided to, we could choose evil. But there are consequences for us, for the human race, by making those choices. Our God is a holy God. He cannot ignore disobedience or sin. And as a just and holy God, He must deal with sin. He can't disregard it, pretend it didn't happen. And the punishment for sin is death, so the choice to disobey God could only have one outcome, eternal punishment and death. God, our God is a God of love, and as He looked at His creation, this fallen creation, He, he had an answer to address the problem of sin. How could He forgive us for the sins that we'd committed? How could He, as a holy God, go against His own laws that said sin must be punished? And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says, therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. God's response was to send His only Son to planet Earth to address the sin problem. 
God, our Creator, sent His only Son to, to die to save us. And without His plan of salvation, it would have been fair of God to punish us for our sin. But through His love and grace and mercy, He sent His Son to take the punishment for our sins on the cross. So, we address these three questions. Is God impartial? Is God just? Is God good? With that background. First of all, is God impartial? Does He treat people without favor and treating them in a way that is right? We live in a society that is deeply divided on grounds of class, race, political identity, and lots of other things. And the attitudes behind these behaviors seem to be universal. Name me a country or a society where these issues are not a problem. But the Christian message is revolutionary in this respect. Listen to what the Apostle Peter said in Acts 33, 34. He said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. This was the same Peter who days before was claiming that the good news of Jesus Christ was only for the Jewish people. Now he's saying that salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is available to all regardless of nationality. This revolutionary way of thinking was taken further by Paul in Galatians 3, where he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Can you imagine the impact of that statement on a society 2,000 years ago where um, slavery, you know, 50% of the people in Rome were slaves, where women had absolutely no say in society? Uh, where Jews, and, where Jews viewed themselves as God's chosen people, and God would only deal with them. This is a revolutionary message. And God's fairness is, is amplified by the fact that salvation through His Son is available to all who believe. Paul says in his first letter to Timothy, this is good and pleases God who wants all men and women to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And Jesus Himself said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When it comes to making salvation free to members of the human race, God is impartial. Now, is God just? What do we mean by just? Oxford Dictionary defini definition states it's someone who behaves according to what is morally right or fair. It uses terms like consistent, virtuous, uncorruptible. We've noted in my introduction how God is a holy, righteous God who cannot tolerate sin. He simply can't ignore it just because He loved His creation. God's own law said that sin should be punished. To go against the, His own laws would have made Him unrighteous and inconsistent. But as I said, He had a plan to deal with the sin of His creation through the sacrificial death of His Son. That salvation would not be imposed. Men and women would have, the, have to exercise their free will to accept God's gift of salvation. God was not only providing a means of salvation, but He demonstrated His grace and mercy by sending His only Son to die in our place. The notion of, of a just God does not sit easily in our postmodern, post-truth society. Contemporary thinking is along the lines that there are no absolute standards of morality. Thus, judgment of what is right or wrong is left to the individual. Who is to say 
what I should do or what I should believe, I am my own master. Contrast that to the Christian worldview where God's justice is based on his own standard of righteousness because he alone is God. Those moral laws or standards are what God exists and judges us by. I've just taken some of the… God is passionate about justice, justice in society as well as justice in individual lives. Just listen to some of the, the, the words from the Old Testament. In Amos, he says, it says, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. In Psalm 82, it says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the fight of the afflicted and the destitute. Isaiah chapter 1 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's case. God cries out against the injustice of the poor, the weak, and those who cannot defend themselves. The Bible teaches that there will come a time when God will judge and punish those who've broken His moral law. God is the authority behind that moral law, and He will be its vindicator. There will be a final justice, when perfect justice will be done in respect of every injustice that has ever been committed. Acts 17 says, For God commands all people everywhere to repent, for He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice. If you want to know more about that, read Revelation chapter 20. The third question I can't ask, is God good? So I'm going to put it the other way around. If God is good, why does He allow bad things to happen? Again, my health warning here. There may be here, folk here tonight who are going through really hard, difficult times where you can't see God's will in anything. And what I say, I hope, does not sound trite. It's from the bottom of my heart, and I hope from God's Word. We sometimes think God is unfair because of all the bad experiences we sometimes go through. But then when we experience good things, we conclude God must be fair. But is this how we, we really weight the fairness or unfairness of our Creator? First, let us accept that life isn't always fair. Life isn't always fair. Why didn't I get that job? Why did my relationship break up? Why was my holiday canceled? Lots of things go bad, go wrong. Bad things happen. But that's different from saying God isn't fair or God isn't good. At this point, we have to acknowledge we don't know why God allows many things to happen or why He doesn't intervene. But we do acknowledge that as the Lord of all creation, He has a plan. Our minds can't comprehend why God in His wisdom works in the way He does. We can, however, learn some important lessons about the character of God from the book of Job in the Old Testament. Chapter 1 of Job sets the scene. There was a man called Job. He's described as blameless, upright in the sight of God, and he shunned evil. He's also very rich and has a big, happy family. The scene in the book of Job moves to heaven, and God is there, and He points out to the assembled angelic creatures, look at my servant Job. He's a man who is blameless and upright, who fears me and shuns evil. But God is challenged by an accuser, or Satan. Satan claims that Job only honors God because he can be rich and happy and safe. He suggests that, God doesn't actually, that Job doesn't actually love God, that Job only honors God. God because God rewards Job. And if God took away all of Job's material success, Job's true nature 
would be revealed. God responds to Satan and says, okay, take away everything and we'll see what happens. So Satan causes Job to lose his wealth, his family, his farm, his animals, his home is destroyed, his family kidnapped, his sheep and cattle stolen. Now, God makes it really clear Job deserved none of this. This was part of God's greater plan. And the remarkable thing about all of this, in the midst of all of this suffering by Job, he still praises God. Then Job's friends come along and to comfort him, but actually have the opposite effect. They say, but Job, you must have done something wrong to anger God. For we all know God is just and the world is ordered by God's justice and fairness. You are getting what you deserved. For much of the rest of the book, Job defends his innocence. And then at time he defends, and he defends God as being wise and just. And then his physical pain increases. And at times in his pain, his misery, his discomfort, he blames God. He accuses God of being unfair. God responds directly to Joseph. Nowhere in the book of Job do we, uh, to Job, nowhere in the book of Job do we find God giving him an explanation as to what he has done. Instead, he, he shows God, uh, Job's, uh, Job the majesty of his creation. And in that, Job comes to realize how great his God is. By the end of the book of Job, his health and wealth and family have been restored. God has demonstrated to Satan that Job's faith in God was not motivated by his fear of losing everything because of his love of God. So what are the lessons we can learn from that story of Job and how does it help us dealing with pain and suffering and when bad things happen. The first lesson, and it's probably the hardest one, is that God has a bigger plan. It's not always obvious why things happen, but it might be part of God's cosmic plan way beyond our comprehension or imagination. But other times, bad things happen in our lives that are not the result of sin in our own lives. That's not to say we don't have to take the consequences of our own actions. If we drive dangerously, we're likely to have an accident. If I disregard my physical or mental well-being, there are likely to be consequences for my body or mind. And if I commit a crime against the law of the land, I will be caught and punished. And we live in a fallen world where sickness and disease are part of our everyday lives, where evil governments suppress freedom and persecute those who do not consent to their abusive power where men bring violence to others for their own gain, where the power and underpowered uh, are exploited for gain. These people choose evil over good. So bad things will happen, and they're not a consequence necessarily of our actions. Thirdly, the story of Job illustrates that whatever comes, good or bad, we can trust God's judgment. The Bible teaches that as we grow in our faith through troubles, 1 Peter chapter 1 says, in all of this you rejoice greatly. Now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise and honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
God doesn't abandon us in difficult times. He helps us face it and gives us strength to persevere and grow in our faith. Now, that's easy to say, and if you are facing those real problems, there is a promise that God can be with you through them. So, in our study of the character of God, we've asked three questions. Is God, in, in, in addressing the issue, is God fair? Is He impartial? Yes, He is. His salvation is opened to all men. Is God just? Yes. He had to deal with the question of sin. He couldn't ignore it. He couldn't turn away from it. But He found a way of dealing with sin that met His own standards of justice. He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. And thirdly, is God good? Yes, He's patient and kind and a loving Father. He helps us deal with the consequences of a fallen world. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, For by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that, man, through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The overwhelming lesson for me in, in studying for tonight was that God does not leave us alone in our troubles. He can be with us. He can, through His Holy Spirit, He can help us address them. I trust tonight that uh, you'll be blessed by the reading of His Word. Thank you. I just invite the band back up, David. Thank you for um, reminding us again of God's character, that He's an impartial, just, and good God.